Hello and welcome to the Modern Day Rebels podcast, the podcast where we talk about the things we're not supposed to talk about. Have you ever wondered what showing up authentically actually looks like? I'm your host, Julia Frank, and this week I'm joined by the amazing Esme Filzinger, self-belief business coach. In this episode, we talk about what living and working authentically actually means. We also talk about how we can liberate ourselves from social conditioning and what it actually looks like to show up as your whole self. I found this episode to be incredibly insightful and I'm so excited to share it with you. So let's dive right in. Welcome so much to the podcast, Esme. I'm so happy to have you on. To get us started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do? Hey, Yulia. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I've been really excited about this for some time. Uh, my name is Esme Filsinger, and I am a coach, currently calling myself a self-belief business coach, but that may change because I'm quite a changeable person. But I work with creative, unconventional small business owners. And when I say creative, it doesn't necessarily mean painting. It just means people with a creative spirit and really helping them to come into their fullness of themselves and kind of live in their authenticity and create businesses that feel liberated and are kind of honoring their strengths and skills, finding their magic, as I like to call it. Amazing. I'm so excited to have you on to kind of dive into some of these topics further. But before we get started, why do you consider yourself a modern day rebel? Or why might someone else consider you as one? I feel like I've always been a bit of a rebel. And I think that's probably rather than being someone who rebelled against stuff, I was brought up in a really unconventional way. I was a horse-drawn traveller. I don't come from a Roma heritage. My mum was born in London to, you know, she was born in the 50s to a white mum in a really working class poor area and black absentee father. So she had a really difficult childhood. She moved out to the countryside, which again, as a black person in Wales in the you know 70s was quite challenging. And she saw a bunch of let's call them hippies, traveling down the road with a horse and one of those horse-drawn carriages. And she decided there and then that that was what she wanted to do. So um, (laughs) she did so for like 35 years. So I was born in Ireland in a hospital, but very much in that lifestyle. So I was born outside of the system. I'm using bunny ears here. (laughs) So my learning has really been as a, you know, as a teenager and an adult is kind of There's been degrees of learning to assimilate, but also I think the rebellion comes from it. It's kind of how do I honor my own way of being? How do I work out who I am in the world in a way that doesn't squash all of who I am, that holds space for my experiences? And I appreciate my experience is quite unusual, but I think it's, you know, we can take it down for other people who may have had a less unconventional experience growing up you know it's really condensed down to that thing of like having that ultimate freedom as a child having that kind of creative passionate way of being in the world and then having an experience that makes you stop makes you withdraw and go back in and it's kind of yeah so it's my work is centered around my own experience of finding myself again in this world and that feels rebellious I think So I want to dive into that a little bit this whole notion of finding yourself as you mentioned Where did you or how did you come about kind of to the career path that you're on now or the business that you have now? So I suppose the first half of my adult life, bearing in mind, I had a son when I was just 18. So I was a single parent. (laughs) I moved to Bristol when he was two, started a degree in fashion, which I didn't finish. And then I started working in a strip club, which I continued to do for 11 years. So I, I quit about two years ago. 
uh, which was great in terms of flexibility and you know, it's it was good money and it was it, it kind of met all my needs. But I also at the same time, I was working freelance. So I'd never had a conventional job. I hadn't been to primary school. I did secondary school. So a lot of my and, you know, I was raised around a bunch of hippie anarchists, which were amazing um, in many ways, but didn't necessarily give me the tools to kind of fit in and assimilate, I suppose. And I think that can come to people from lots of different experiences. So I think my experience was I was never that person who wanted to assimilate. But I think I was always treading that line between like, how do I learn how to do this thing in the in the way that everyone else needs it done? How do I do it in a way that kind of meets all these things? And, you know, and to do something as someone who always feels like a bit of an outsider, how do I do it and have it recognized? How do I get my work recognized? And quite an active learner. So I used to work in the events industry and I used to do like freelance marketing and building websites and random stuff, <laughs> you know, and that was supported by a second income, as I said, in the club. So that was quite experimental, but all of it just felt crunchy. I have a lot of clients who talk about this kind of experience of just like there are conventional, popular ways of doing things, which I think have been developed by us within our society, which does support the views of certain demographics and yeah so for me it was really kind of learning to be brave and feel out doing things in a different way there's always part of me that knew it's possible but it's kind of that piece where it's it's the self-doubt piece like who am I to do things in that way even if you understand that you can just and I don't mean this flippantly but you can almost do like you can almost work in any way you wish to work and the main things that get in your way are you know obviously covering up against external resistance because it's unconventional but actually it's just the way we're conditioned for me I realized that I was having just this really unsatisfying experience so two and a half ish years ago I decided to stop working in the club and I gathered all of my relevant requisite experience, which I haven't detailed all of it because that would take a long time. But I ended up working actually straight into a management position in a nonprofit as a business manager for an e-commerce startup for a nonprofit, which was really great because I kind of it was an opportunity for me to galvanize all of my experience in a certain way. And, you know, that was experimental because I'd never really worked in employed position before, like a proper job, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And... Although the company I worked for, the charity I worked for, was incredibly flexible and in lots of ways really forward thinking, it still just felt like a really restrictive environment. So that was during that period, I kind of knew in my head that after two years, I wanted to do something different. So I trained in coaching on the side um, and just started working towards doing something. And I just had to set really firm rules with myself, which I do quite often break. (laughs) But, you know, my intention is to honour my needs, do things in a way that's uncompromising. And of course, there have been times when I haven't always done that. But that's kind of as my work evolves, it's about living into that. Because it's one thing helping clients to do something. But I Mm -hmm. think it's really important to live in those values yourself. So I'm quite interested in the moments that kind of flipped a switch. So what was it for you that helped you flip the switch from like, this isn't working for me to I'm going to do it differently? I think and it's it's one of those things that's not totally direct, but a very big experience. It's not like I had this big experience and next day woke up and was like, my life is going to change forever. But when I was 26, I lost my dad. He died very suddenly. And then my grandpa shortly after died of cancer. So over the course of two years, I lost both of my 
my dad, my grandpa, and then a very close friend and another very close friend. So in two years, I lost four people, <laughs> which was, it was big. So, you know, that, and that was six years ago and it wasn't an immediate effect. But I think after quite a long time of grief, confusion, it really just made me examine who I was in the world and who I wanted to be. So I think before that, I was dissatisfied, but I didn't really have the sense of urgency or pressure or need to change things up drastically. I was kind of quite happy with just, as we are often in our 20s, just live life as it's happening and, you know, just kind of expect to have an endless supply of life, <laughs> an endless expense in which to, you know, Anything that sounded more intentional was something to maybe do later. So that was a big thing for me. And I think it's only reflecting back that I'm able to say it wasn't a light bulb moment, but it was certainly something that really changed the trajectory of who I wanted to be, which, you know, then was a period of grief and not treating myself very well and, you know, drinking loads and getting high all the time. And then therapy and then changing my habits and then kind of really getting to understand myself and my own needs and I guess that process is what really brought it into the stark light of day for me. Like, I didn't really want to spend my life doing things that felt like I was compromising myself. Yeah, it's not that I was doing anything particularly compromising, but I don't particularly want to live something that feels mediocre. I think it's a really interesting one because in the business space, I feel like, you know, authenticity and showing up authentically is mentioned quite a lot. But there's not a lot of talk about how and what that actually means. And one of the things I'd love to chat about is your work around that. So when you are talking about, you know, helping your clients kind of move into that space of authenticity and exploring that authentic version of your business and yourself, how is it that you go about that? I think, you know, the coaching space for me what I like to create and I think is really effective is a safe container for people to be safely held while they explore things that are kind of scary to explore on your own. And, you know, I think I can say that I certainly, and I think many people have experienced a sense that they would like something different for themselves. They would like something in bunny ears more for themselves. I'm playing bunny ears because it's just a phrase, you know, mm -hmm. you want something more for yourself, but that, you know, that the way you're living your life and the trajectory in which it's moving is actually not honoring all of your needs, desires. But it's really, really scary to say those things to yourself because if you admit them out loud, then, you know, often we just have no idea how to be those things because we're wrapped up in self-doubt and what will other people think of me and, you know, the expectations of our families and then all of the societal pressures that fall on us, particularly as female identifying or, you know, genderqueer people. So the work really centres around on actually making space for people to discover and talk about and really dig into what they truly want. And that can look totally different for different people. To distill it into a simple question, which I think pops up quite a lot, it's like, yeah, if nobody cared, if no one's looking, if nobody cared, what would you do? What would make you feel happy? And again, it's not as simple as just asking that question on its own because... <laughs> You know, our answer that we're holding might be still quite conditioned, still quite impacted. It, it's, it's holding space and just gently probing and digging and allowing that person to 
come to realizations about what their needs are and how they wish to be living and how they wish to build a business that honors that and those needs and then support them in putting practical steps in place to help them move towards that. It's a really interesting one because I've personally found myself that even though, you know, I decided to run my own business, it does sometimes feel like you can slip into this by the books. This is how you run a business nowadays. You know, you have to be on Instagram. You have to do this, this and this. There seems to be these very specific in your face ways. And I guess maybe just because we're seeing those, uh, we don't see the other ones, the other versions of running it, but we're constantly confronted with a specific way of running a business. And I'm really interested to kind of talk about what it actually looks like to run a business that actually fits your needs and the way in which you want to show up rather than the way that you feel like you need to show up now that you're freelancing or or run your own service-based business. Totally. I think it really comes down to, and it's, it's, it's never the answer people want to hear, but it really just comes down to having a deep understanding of your purpose, why you're doing what you're doing, what it means to you, what it means to the world that you're trying to co-create, because that really allows you to bring into sharp focus, like how to make decisions, because all of your decisions need to be aligned with that. And I think when you're really well Uh, you know, when you have a really good idea and a really strong sense of who the fuck you are and, you know, why you're here and you feel really connected to that and it has purpose and impact. And again, we overuse these words in the industry, but I really mean like, like, what is your reason for being on this earth? And, you know, our business isn't the sole output of that. But, you know, if we're living in an aligned way, our business is an extension of us, therefore another way of living in that purpose. When we're really connected to that, it allows us to become less swayed by those external things. It allows us to make decisions because it's much easier to hold something up and say, is this or is this not aligned with that purpose? So is that when you kind of talk about getting into this place of being able to make decisions more confidently that are in alignment with your values, your needs, your desires, that kind of comes down to being connected to that really deep purpose? Yeah, absolutely. And a commitment to being experimental. You know, because it's It's not about like having a profound purpose and, you know, deciding what you're going to do and going ahead and doing that in one fixed way. It's about being really rooted in that and seeing the direction you want to head in, but also becoming kind of unattached to outcomes, being experimental, being willing to kind of move and flow and feel things out. And then it's kind of developing a sensory acuity to like, you know, listening to yourself, listening to your body. Like, am I enjoying this? Why am I making this decision? being hypervigilant about questioning our motives for doing things. I actually did uh, Instagram Live earlier because I was, uh, um, I mentioned to you earlier that I am starting a podcast. Now, this Which I'm is a- so excited about. <laughs> yes, me too. So this is a podcast. It's not the same one, really. So over a year ago, I decided to start a podcast uh, within my business. I recorded eight whole episodes. And over the past year, I've kind of, it's been put back. It's been moved to the side. And it's very, it's been very easy for me to say to myself, oh, you're procrastinating. Oh, you're just not prioritizing. Oh, and responding in a way that's filled with judgment towards myself and actually not allowing the space for me to examine where that resistance is coming from. Rather than saying, oh, there's resistance. Perhaps there's a deeper meaning behind that. What's that trying to tell me? Um, How can I unpick that to find out why this doesn't feel good? It's very easy for us to jump to, oh, that's because you are X, Y, Z or you're being X, Y, Z. 
So now fast forward to now, <laughs> you know, and I, I kind of made peace with just letting it sit. And now I'm able to admit to myself that actually the podcast I was trying to make then isn't a podcast that would have accommodated me showing up as my full self with all of the ideas I want to talk about and really the messages that I want to bring. Because in my head, there was this business podcast where, you know, and it was kind of upholding some of my values <laughs> and it was talking, you know, with amazing people in a way that was honoring them. But I had in my head this other real strong urge to do this other podcast, which almost had, it seemed like it had nothing to do with my business. It was about people and just talking about being a person and, you know, just talking to different unconventional people and their life choices and their life paths. But in my head, these were two separate things. <laughs> they had nothing to do with each other. Um, therefore, this podcast was feeling, I always use the word crunchy to mean just uncomfortable or not quite right. So this podcast was feeling crunchy. And then I kind of had this strong idea to do this other one, but it had no tangible link to my business. But in tapping into and listening to myself and asking myself those gentle questions, like where, where's this resistance coming from? It creates this space around your idea that allows it. And you just kind of have to release the attachment you have to it having a specific outcome. And as soon as I did that, all of these ideas started pouring together. And it turns out it's entirely possible to make the podcast that involves two of those ideas, because actually those things are the fundamental kind of, I suppose, values and sense of purpose that I have in my business. But I was kind of in this situation, not managing to marry those things up. So speaking of marrying multiple things together. Right now, you're really focusing, and I love this, on get liberated, reclaim your magic, and kind of showing up with an intentional strategy. So what do those things mean on kind of a, a practical level when we run businesses? I'm so glad you asked that question. <laughs> so get liberated is, you know, it's kind of shorthand really for unpacking what's mine and what's somebody else's. So that really is the how are we aligning ourselves to our true values or are we aligning ourselves to society's expectations of us, to our childhood experiences and stories around money or self-worth or, oh no, that's not for you. So it's really the kind of the deep mindset work around undoing and reframing our experiences and how they limit us <laughs> from moving forward. When you say what's mine versus what's yours, you're talking about beliefs, conditions, shoulds. What is it specifically you're referring to? Yeah, so it is shoulds. It's that it's that feeling in your business when you're like, oh, well, I have to use Instagram. Who said? Who said that? Who says you have to use Instagram? <laughs> so yeah, it's kind of about, yeah, just divesting from all those ideas, doing the mindset work to really understand and take ownership of what's my desire, what's my idea, what's my opinion versus what is society's opinion, expectation, what is a family member's expectation what did I pick up in school and how is that serving me for me it's important to touch on the get liberated is also talking about our collective liberation so I have a real social justice lens in my work and so for me it's really important to you know and not everyone has to have and I really don't mean that everyone has to be running a non-profit <laughs> but and, and your idea like I think it's important to understand your desires and the impact you want to make in the world through your business and also just kind of developing an equitable mindset as you move forward. One that feels fair to yourself and feels kind and generous to the world. And with that, I am quite, for example, as a coach, I take it my responsibility for being trauma informed quite seriously as well. So 
because I understand that working with people and this mindset stuff, it touches very close to therapy sometimes. It's not therapy, but I think for me, it's really important to have that awareness. So trauma-informed is, I've been doing some training on this recently, and it's being able to recognize trauma, being able to recognize triggered responses. As a coach, I'm not working with trauma, but it's quite likely that, you know, someone can get triggered talking about something that seemingly has no link to what we consider traditional trauma subjects. So, you know, talking about money or talking about just being a person in the world, being someone trying to run a business, self-doubt, all of those things. And it's recognising what trauma responses look like and how to navigate safely around them so that you can be sure that you're not actually doing any harm and that you can recognise areas that you're not qualified to deal with or manage. So when you talk about that kind of that get liberated, that first step of of doing the the mindset work, I love the phrasing, that question is like, is it mine or is it yours? So for those listening and for those, you know, kind of interested in exploring this further, what are some other questions or what are some other ways in which we can kind of figure that out? Is this my version of success or someone else's? Is this my version of running a business versus someone else's? So again, it's another really simple question. I always, you know, if I've got that little voice in my head or um, that says, oh, you should do this. And like, says who? Says who? <laughs> and really kind of following that thread of thought back to where did this actually originate from? We also really should look out for shoulds. Shoulds, I think, are just dangerous <laughs> because shoulds never really belong to us. You know, I get to, I want to, I desire to. It would be helpful for me to. But I should is usually something that belongs to an external source and isn't always serving our best interests. It's an interesting one because I personally, especially on the consumer side of this, sometimes still struggle. You know, there's tailored ads, there's personalized ads, there's the constant comparison that can occur with Instagram. And sometimes I personally find it quite difficult between I want because I've seen an ad so many times and like, I actually want, you know, that, that whole question of like, oh, do I really, really need this? Or do I really, really want this? And I feel like within the service-based industry in particular, there's so many specific ways in which people are showing up online that sometimes I find quite difficult to be like, oh, I want to do this. And really digging that layer deeper of like, oh, maybe I've just seen it so many times that I've been, as you said, conditioned to want this. So how do you kind of really dig, is it asking that question again and again, or how do you get to that like kind of last bit that's like, oh, wait, wait a minute. This is not, this is not me. This is not what I actually want. Yeah, totally. And let me just be really clear here. It still gets me now, <laughs> you know, <laughs> on bad days. I'm just like, oh, you know, when you're having a, a down day, even as a coach, even as someone who has access to all these therapeutic techniques, you don't become immune to it, but you become better at calling yourself out on your own bullshit. <laughs> And I think what it really comes back to, and I say this about pretty much most things, is really being locked into your purpose and really being locked into understanding what it is you want to do, what you're here to do, you know, and being really intentional about what you want to create. Because I think if you have the foundational stuff, your mission and your vision for the business you want to create, the reason you're here, and it's rooted in a real strong sense of this is what I need to be doing, then on those days when you're feeling particularly susceptible to sexy Instagram ads, you can go back and you can look and you can read like, this is what I've said I've committed to. Because it's really easy to lose sight of our mission. 
and our values and our vision. And I think sometimes when we're starting out in business, we kind of have a sense of it, but we don't write it down. We sit down and we kind of know that we should be nailing it down, but we kind of skim over it because we're so excited. You know, and so it's, it's, I don't think we should necessarily, if we've got that forward momentum and we're kind of, you know, riding that wave of energy and enthusiasm for a new idea, I'm not saying you have to sit down at the beginning and detail that all out because I do think it's an iterative process and it's a really good thing to come back to. But I do think it's important after you've kind of, you know, started going for a little bit and you're looking to kind of level up your business. I think it's really important to go back and look at that stuff and be really clear on it with yourself. I think making those commitments, you bring up such a good point because we've talked about this outside of this podcast as well, of like literally writing down the commitments because it kind of acts as a protection. It acts as a way of being able to to say to others when somebody says, oh, you know, do you want to do this? And you're like, oh, I don't really want to, but it's really hard to say no versus being able to to say, well, you know, this is my commitment. This is what I stand for. And being able to kind of use that as a, using that as a compass. So when people are kind of at the beginning is there a way that you recommend to be like, okay, how do you actually make that commitment with yourself and the way that you want to run your business? And then moving on from that, when and how do you kind of revisit that? Like I said, I think it's really important to do the foundational activities about working out your values as a business person and as a person person, <laughs> which are kind of one and the same, really. And the mission and why, why your business exists in the first place. What larger mission is it serving for this business to exist? So I definitely think that's a foundational thing that people should at least explore <laughs> um, and have a think about when they're starting up. And revisiting it, I think it comes at different points for different people. Like when I started my coaching practice in earnest, I came straight out of the gate uh, with a lot of energy and I got clients and it was kind of on a roll. And that was really good. And that, you know, there was no point in that where it would have made any sense for me to stop and go, oh, okay. Should I revisit these things? But after a while, uh, and I think that's kind of, that was the initial iteration of how I was running my business. And it became really obvious because everything was feeling a bit out of sync. I started to become unable to make decisions about where I wanted to go. We do start to get pulled in by all those things. I'm like, okay, I've bought so many e-courses in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> I feel so seen. I feel yeah, so I know, seen. right? But I think it's being able to recognize and I think always when we come to those points of confusion, always when we come to those points of indecision and just general, say it again, crunchiness in our businesses, that's when you need to revisit your vision, your mission. Because it may be that you still have the same vision, you still have the same mission, and you just need to reroute yourself in it. Or it may be that your experience that you've had actually being in business, as opposed to your ideas about what it's like to be in business, your understanding of yourself as a business person, what you actually enjoy doing, what you don't enjoy doing, what you're really good at, that becomes much clearer. And you might find that those things have shifted a bit and they've changed and you need to revisit and redefine those things. And you actually created some space for this, right? You went on a re retreat, was it? Yeah. So I basically decided to take two weeks off. And caveat, at this time I had a part-time job. So I wasn't fully reliant on the income, but I decided to start with taking two weeks off just to go in and do some work on this stuff and just kind of give myself this container where I could explore and revisit the purpose of my business and my mission and everything 
um, without putting any pressure on myself to, you know, be selling coaching, be delivering certain things. In the end, it ended up taking a little bit longer than that. I think I gave myself a, probably a month off, which I appreciate is quite a privilege. <laughs> but having the part-time work enabled me to do so. But, and it's something I do a lot with my clients, creating a container to do that kind of work in is important. It doesn't have to be two weeks. It can be half an hour a week. It can be an hour a week. It can be a weekend. It's just creating an intentional container where you you tell your anxious little brain to stop worrying about selling the thing or what other people are going to think about the thing and just set aside some time to be creative and kind of just surrender to some creativity around it. And is that kind of the, the I just love the phrasing, reclaim your magic bit, because I love the fact that you're very open about kind of your business being really iterative and kind of evolving as as you kind of grow and evolve. So the reclaiming your magic bit is that when you you say, you know, adjusting business to accommodate our needs, is that where that also comes into play? Yeah, totally. Reclaim your magic is really about just understanding and tapping into your deep desires, your strengths, what brings you joy, all of the things that are a culmination of your individual unique experience as a human being. And understanding how you can bring that with you as a business person, as a tool for connecting to people like you and sharing your values and telling stories and engaging with people. And actually just living into that expansive space where you don't have to leave bits behind or deny parts of yourself because we're, t- we're taught that to have a business, you have to have like a professional persona or there's a professional way of being and an unprofessional way of being. And that does come with also creating boundaries because it doesn't mean that you just have to share everything, what you had for breakfast, <laughs> but you don't have to share all of your personal experiences. You can share parts of your story that feel relevant. You can be authentic in yourself but you don't have to share every single part of that experience. Like a good example of that is me realizing that I wasn't doing as much of that as I would like recently. And, you know, I spent 11 whole years working in a strip club and became a very good pole dancer because of it. <laughs> but that's something I've always, I've not, I've not avoided talking about it in my work because I'm open about it and I have absolutely no shame around it. But there's no reason why I can't show up as someone who loves pole dancing too. So now I post reels of me pole dancing with, you know, captions about business on it because it's relevant and it's fun. And that's me. And people connect to that. I suppose the magic of that is sooner or later, if people enter a coaching relationship with me or they're getting to know me through my social media, they're going to slowly get to understand that my character is that kind of fun, is that kind of eccentric but they're going to do it a lot more slowly. Whereas if I'm sharing outwardly those things, <laughs> then it's much easier for people to say, oh, yeah, I really feel that vibe or I really don't feel that vibe. Then what that does is it just allows our audience to be, to be able to make good decisions about, yeah, you're for me, you're not for me. And I love that because, and this is one of the many reasons I'm very excited about your podcast to launch, but it goes back to that kind of embracing the complexities of us. It's not like we're just, you know, this thing or that thing. I really love coming back to this. We're all really complex humans and there's messiness involved with that and there's beauty involved with that. And yeah, I I just absolutely love that. I just I, that's that's the main comment I wanted to make about that. <laughs> Is this need for all of us to just understand that 
we can be ourselves wholeheartedly, but that doesn't mean that we all have to show up all the time in everyone's face if that doesn't feel authentic and what we want to do. Yeah, absolutely. So the the kind of the last bit there is is putting that intentional strategy in place. And with that, I'm really interested in, we talked a little bit about kind of these questions we can ask ourselves trying to figure out, okay, what am I conditioned to? What is What is the stuff that I've been made to believe? But in particular, self-doubt is something that creeps up again and again. And I actually most recently talked about imposter syndrome on the podcast as well. And especially whenever people are like, oh, you know, let's let's write down our strengths and our talents. I personally sometimes find it really difficult to see the value in that being like, oh, well, I'm organized. Yeah, but isn't everyone? Oh, I'm good with this. Yeah, but isn't everyone? So how do you actually create a strategy in place so that when self-doubt comes creeping back up, you can be like, okay, goodbye. Here's the door. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I think the coaching that we do is a lot of uh, looking at the stories we tell ourselves and learning how to change those stories, almost question the validity of them by, I suppose, adding in complexity. Because a lot of the stories we tell ourselves, um, and I've been learning a lot of this from my mentor, Sas Petherick, she's an amazing coach. Um, and I've been training in the Self-Belief Coaching Academy, um, which is let me, if you're a coach out there <laughs> and you want to know which coach training you should take to improve your craft, or, you know, even if you haven't been a coach, I'm literally plugging her because I absolutely love it. Um, not sponsored, but not if you sponsored, love something, we're going to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. But yeah, so the work Sas does and that I've been learning since uh, last year. It's a really well-tested approaches to self-doubt. And a lot, of the, the, a lot of the stories we tell ourselves about, oh, well, I'm not very good at this or other negative stories that we think about ourselves, they're very thin stories. They don't hold up to scrutiny. So it's about adding in layers of complexity to those stories. And it's kind of learning those habits and learning different techniques for questioning ourselves. And sometimes that's just learning a process that we can take ourselves through when those things are coming up for us. So that we can rat out those <laughs> sneaky, hidden, yeah, thoughts that are kind of getting in our way. So I absolutely love a good process. So I might be a little bit biased here. But when it comes to running our business on a day-to-day -day basis, then how can we develop these intentional strategies to kind of help us move forward in the work that we do? Yeah, so I think, you know, the mindset piece comes first. Um, I think mindset is 80 to 90% of the hard stuff because, uh, you know, a lot of clients come to me and they're like, well, I really struggle with organizational procrastination. But it turns out, and I can put my hand up and say this can be me also, we know how to do the things. We've learned the techniques. We've bought the system. We've tried Asana, Trello, different organization systems. We've stayed up late night when we should be doing something relaxing and watched YouTube videos on how Gantt charts work. <laughs> Again, I feel very seen. <laughs> I, yeah, I was talking literally about myself. But I think... Again, it's coming back to that. Am I taking a strategy that's meant for somebody else and applying it to myself? Am I taking somebody else's technique with their expectations? Going back to your needs. Like I have a client who came to me and they were very kind of annoyed that they work better in the evenings. They have no kids. They 
don't have the kind of responsibilities that would make that not okay. But they were, you know, their best working time is kind of late at night and they don't tend to be an early riser. But because our society says, you know, one must get up at 5 a.m. and do your morning routine and then go about a nine to five day, even if you work for yourself. Uh, my client was unable to see <laughs> at that point or understand that actually that's totally fucking fine. If you want to work at nighttime and that's your ideal time, that's totally fine. So it's about taking pieces of strategic stuff that's out there and really being critical and working out what fits for you and what doesn't. You know, if you're trying to apply a system to your business and your way of thinking and it doesn't feel quite right, then how can you be playful with it? What changes and experiments can you have with that to make it work for you? Like me, for example, and I know this resonates with a lot of people, I'm a serial note taker in messy notebooks with no cataloging or categorization. <laughs> and I spent so much of my time in the past trying to transfer everything into a singular online system because it was more organized. It was more practical. But my brain just doesn't want to do that. And, you know, I've tried bullet journaling. And honestly, even that's a little bit too organized for my brain. And what I've come to realize is my brain is really generative and comes up with brilliant ideas and does really good thinking on random bits of paper. That's good. So rather than trying to totally change that up, how can I turn that into something that works with my brain? Well, as long as I take the extra step of cataloging any relevant information into the right place after, for example, I love to use Notion, favorite piece of software. Um, I have signed it's... up for it. I have not tried it yet, though. I'll give yourself some time because <laughs> once you start it, you will go down some rabbit holes. But I love Notion because it's really flexible um, and I find I need to be able to see everything on one page. I need to have a drawing next to a tick list. That's just how my brain makes sense of it. Yeah, so if I make sure that I'm being diligent about taking that information and putting it somewhere else, even if sometimes that's just taking a picture of it and saving it in the right Google Drive folder, then I still get to do the thing that my brain works well with and loves. <laughs> um, but I just make sure that it's getting stored in the right place so I can find it later. So yeah, it's really about finding what works for you. Yeah, and through the coaching work, we you know, work to really understand the way that person works well in the world. And then, you know, whatever their objective of coaching is. It's almost that realization too, I think, because I very much relate to a lot of the things you've just said of almost realizing that it's okay to not fit into that box or like in a certain way of doing it. I do think, you know, it's like that book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, right? It's like, there's so many more habits than that. There's so many more ways of doing it. But yeah, what we kind of see is this constant 5 a.m. morning routine and this and this and this and just trying it, but then also realizing it's okay if that just does not work for us. So to wrap things up, I always like to ask five questions. The first one being, what book changed your life or shifted your mindset? Ooh. So I can't remember which Brene Brown book it was. But I think it started with the TED Talk and then I read, I think it was Daring Greatly. And that was a big spark for me on my personal self-development journey. In fact, I've got three. I'm sorry. <laughs> like Give one, me like all three. three. <laughs> so that in terms of just understanding myself and, you know, for anyone that knows Brene, she talks a lot about shame and, yeah, just how to kind of live a wholehearted life. The other thing is a podcast called How to Survive the End of the World by Adrian Marie Brown and Autumn Brown, who are two sisters. Um, and their, their podcast is about how to 
survive apocalypse with grace, curiosity and rigor. So they are activists, authors, lots of personal stories, but also amazing kind of conversations around activism. But it's just so nourishing. And for me, as like a mixed race woman, having that to listen to and their experiences and their way of thinking and navigating the world. Um, they also introduced me to the third thing, which is not a book, it's an entire author, I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, which is Octavia Butler, who is a black queer science fiction writer, was a black queer science fiction writer in, in the 60s and 70s. And her work, I mean, it's not an obvious leap to take a science fiction writer's work and it's not a direct application to my work. And I think how Octavia writes about and speaks about change is so powerful and it's really expanded my way of thinking about who I am in the world and how we can be in the world and shape our own destinies. Amazing. I'll definitely have to look all those up. I obviously know Brianne Brown, but um, I always, maybe I'm biased because I have a podcast, but I also love podcast recommendations. Secondly, what are your sources of strength and or inspiration? Ooh. So I think, again, I'm going to talk about Octavia Butler again um, as a source of great strength and inspiration. I draw quite a lot of strength from literature and actually sci-fi in general. Okay, I'm going to go on a wild leap here. Um, I also absolutely love um, Star Trek. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I love the way that they deal with personal stories and narratives. And I find that weirdly transferably inspiring when it comes to Ah, yeah, just how I show up in the world, because I think science fiction is an amazing way of exploring what is possible for humanity um, in an indirect way. So we get to be creative and playful about imagining and creating potential future possibilities. I love that. And following on from that, what is your secret to success? It's just to keep tapping into more and more your own self um, and to stop giving fucks about what other people think, uh, because you really only get to live once. And following on from that, what is your definition of success? Oh, hell. I always find this question really hard to answer. Success is such a nebulous word. For me, I'm just going to tell you what definition of my personal success looks like. And that is having positive impact in the world, having a business that is run equitably, rather than being a charity, it's leading by example on how we can engage in capitalism in a more responsible way. It's about kind of living in a way that feels open and in community with other people. And it feels like having a level of security for my son and myself. So that would be, you know, having a nice house and some land or a garden. And what is success without a horse? And a wagon? Would you, are you going to go back? Do you know what? I have circle. this fantasy because the wagon that we grew up in, my mum built by hand. The, under, the cart underneath, so the wheels and the flat part, were from a 100-year-old um, ancient cart thing. I can't even use the right words. Uh, but the part that she built on top is her. Um, she built it herself. Um, and she sold it to a friend of ours who's had it for a while. And now I think he's held it to someone else. But I've kind of over the years, I've been keeping track of it. So I'm hoping at some point when I've got my nice big garden or patch of land, I'll be able to um, maybe rehome it so that it can go full circle. Amazing. Love that. And lastly, what advice would you like to hear when you started to live life a little bit differently? That no one really is listening. I mean, people are listening when they're tuned into you speaking authentically. 
but no one really gives a fuck what you're doing. <laughs> Everyone's too busy paying attention to themselves. So don't ever not do something that feels right and feels good on account of what other people might think of you. Amazing. If people want to find out more about you in particular, we've mentioned your podcast launching, I think the week of the 11th of March, yes. right? So soon. Very soon. If they want to find out more about you, where can they find you? So you can find me on Instagram. That's at Esme Filsinger. Uh, you can find me on my website, esmefilsinger.com. Or you can ping me an email at esme at esmefilsinger.com if you want to just reach out and chat. Amazing. And I'll link everything in the show notes. Thank you so, so much for being on this podcast. I really appreciate it and loved our chat. Oh, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've been really excited about this. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. If this episode inspired you in any way, please do share it with your friends. As the more we talk about the things we're not supposed to talk about, the more we can challenge the conventional. You can find all the links mentioned throughout the episode in the show notes, and if you would like to receive more resources directly to your inbox, you can sign up to the newsletter. See you in two weeks.